Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Susie. And uh, welcome back for the second episode of the Being Human cast. <laughs> and the birdie, yes, we have a we have a special special guest for uh, for this show. <laughs> What's the birdie called? The bird is Allie. It's a cockatiel. Okay. Does that, he doesn't say anything dirty, so we don't have to worry about it. Okay. Has Allie watched Being Human? Sometimes. Okay. I'm just thinking, do you think Allie could possibly do a better job than us? We could just put Allie on. We could have a, an, <laughs> a, an hour of Ali. Uh, we could have Ali's hour. Oh, Ali's hour. There you go. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know if that would work or not because she goes into her car alarm. Okay. Yeah, that probably won't work so good. But. And then she says, bad kitty, bad kitty. He says, bad kitty, bad kitty. Okay. Anyway, this is just getting weird now. So back back to the show. So um, first of all, I'd just like to, um, well, we had, we had some comments, so I just want to make one thing clear. We are talking about episode two of the Being Human, but we're doing this based on an expectation that you've seen the whole of series one. Okay, So we're not going to make any reference to anything that may or may not be in season two, but we are possibly going to be referring to things in future episodes as part of the discussion of this episode so you've been warned um yeah because it's hard to talk about this episode because we have seen the entire season one it's hard to talk about just the one episode when you know what's going to be going on i'll try not to but it's going to be hard yep and uh i'd just like to say thank you to the people that have sent us well we've had some comments on the website um we've obviously had some feedback through the tv bhc uh twitter account um so if you're not following us on that twitter account then please do uh and thank you for um i think it was i think it was being human three but i probably just got that wrong but who uh, pointed out that uh, the vampire whose name we couldn't remember either of us remember for the whole of the first episode was seth so um, that was great. The website is there and it's up. And uh, I've tried to you know, keep some content on there um, in between the shows. But um, you know, if you've got any feedback on the site, if you'd like us to change anything, if you'd like, um, you know, if you'd like us to discuss anything, if you want us to put post anything up on our points of view and anything to do with being human, then let us know, and uh, we'll um, and we'll see. You know, see what we can do. So, but the website's there. www.beinghumancast.com. And I think actually, in the wonderful world that is Web 2.0, I think if you just type beinghumancast.com, it will actually um, work as well. You don't need the www because um, it's got one of those newfangled type of things. You can tell I work in IT. Um, so, um, so okay. That's all I really wanted to say for intro. Oh, I guess. Um, so, do we want to talk a little bit about sci-fi or sci-fi or 
Well, have you, you guys pronounce it? In the UK, we've still got the Sci-Fi Channel. I'd just like to say, you know, we've still got it's called Sci-Fi Channel still. So yeah, we call it the Sissy Sci-Fi now. Yeah, we haven't got Sci-Fi where it is, but um, the US Sci-Fi Channel have um, decided that. Uh, Following the fact that the BBC have done one series of Being Human and the process of you know, coming to the conclusion of series two of Being Human and potentially you know, the series will keep on running into the future, then now's a really good time to go and do a completely different version of the same thing. Um, so, um, I mean, as I commented on, um, on the website, I, I'm not opposed to this. You know, I'm not ex- saying that, you know, I haven't, we haven't seen it. I mean, it could be really good. You know, we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't judge it before we've seen it. And if it gets more fans to then go and view the original BBC show, then that's better. Um, if it gives Susie and I more content to talk about on the podcast, then hey, that's good, you know. But, you know, there's obviously concerns and stuff about this. Uh, but I just... You can read, you know, go, go look on our website. You can go look and see what I wrote on there. I mean, essentially, I just don't get the point. Yeah, I think this is. Yeah, I'm real skeptical. Yeah, I'm very skeptical of it at at period. I just, why bother with you know remaking something that's already good? I don't know if they can really even do it justice. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'll give it a watch just to see, but I'm really kind of leery about it. I really am. It, it's timing. That's what gets me. If you like, like, um, things like Life on Mars. Okay, there's a U.S. version of Life on Mars. But they did that after Life on Mars had sort of happened in the UK. You know, like the US version of The Office, pretty much, it started, like, was it after The Office had finished in the UK? Or it was like towards the end or after, I mean, I, I can't remember. You know. but, uh, but it wasn't like right at the start. And that's what's surprising me about this, is they've made the decision that they go go and reimagine and redo a show that hasn't even run its course yet. You don't know what direction the whole, you know, the whole. Um, here we are, spoiling again now with the whole series. The whole sort of future uh, conflict with the vampires that Herrick was pushing towards. You don't know where that's going to go in season two. So, how, you know, there's one thing to sort of like the BBC have done, say, ten seasons of being human, not going to make any more. Hey, we'll take that, we'll reimagine it, and do it our own way. You know, but taking a show yeah. that hasn't even fully established itself, there's only six episodes. You know, that's what I don't get about. It. I'm just bemused. I think that's where it is, really. I'm just bemused as to how you know. As, you know I'm quoting myself now, but as I put on the out, actually, I'll read what I put on the website. It's um. So as I said, until I see, it, I don't mind them doing it. I'm not. I'm not all outraged. Just more bemused as to how anyone would think this is a good idea. And that's where I'm at. I mean, you know, it could be excellent, it could be great. You know, let's wait and see. I just don't get it. That's that's it, really. But hey, you know, if it means that a whole bunch of folk in the US who aren't aware of being human, you know, the, the BBC version being syndicated the way it is out there, you know, and if they do go and see Sci-Fi Channel's version of being human, and that makes them go look it up on Google, and they stumble across the original BBC version, and that gets more people watching the BBC version, then hey, that's good. So, because then maybe the BBC will put more money into doing more series of this. So, 
So yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying not to be all ooh doom and gloom and negative because that's it. You know, that's the easy thing to do. Um, I'm just yeah, just don't get it. So anyway, then um, I'm gonna be the easy way out. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go into it skeptical. <laughs> So, um, okay, well, I think the plan is that we'll go run a promo for a show that both Susie and I work on called uh, Happy Land, Upside Down, Halfway to Happy Land, which is Kim's podcast all about uh, Buffy. And, the and whole... it's awesome. It is very good. The uh... and... Sorry, go on. Oh, it's at the bottom of our webpage, too, the little icon on the right-hand side yep. underneath the signal. And just like I point out, it's not at the bottom because it's at the bottom. It's at the bottom because it starts with a U for upside, and um, somebody hasn't ever oh, really. Oh yeah, because it's alphabetical. Yeah, it's alphabetical. Um, and um, I did think about hell. Well, perhaps I should try and order it the other way around. But then we'd have Angel and Buffy between the lines at the bottom, and that wouldn't really work either. So I um I just gave up and left it. Alphabetical. Yeah. No, it looks good the way it is. So. Naked spikes there, future tradition, signal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they're all, all on there. So, um, yeah, well, not all on there, but there's a whole bunch of shows on there. But anyway, so we're going to run a, a, a promo for um, for Happy Land, and, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about um, episode two. We all love the Buffyverse, and it means something to each of us. It was a show about people. I identified with Xander, of course. Upside Down and Halfway to Happy Land explores the things we love best in the Buffyverse from the perspective of the everyday fan. Check out our discussions on characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good point. So, like, Selfish Willow is worse when things start going wrong. Individual episodes. And I remember in the freshman episode when um, Sunday, the vampire that was after Buffy... When she took Check out Upside Down and Halfway to Happy Land, the place where just being a fan means something. You can find Upside Down and Halfway to Happy Land on iTunes, or you can check out the website at www.upsidedownhappyland.com. So we're back. Um, well, we're not really. Well, we're sort of back. We're here. There we are. Anyway, um, so <laughs> episode two. And I guess episode two kicks off with Tully, really. And uh, well, it kicks off actually. It kicks off with George's transformation into a werewolf. And what I I like about this is that most things which you've seen before, uh, you know, like in in Buffy when uh, Oz turns into a werewolf, and you know, and generally in most things I've seen where. Humans transform to werewolves. It's a pretty horrific thing, but it's not really spelled out to you how horrific it is. And at the start of episode two, Mitchell basically voices graphic description of what's happening to George's body as he transforms. You know, in oh, terms, yeah, yeah, in terms of his heart just, stopping. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, sounds traumatic. Yeah, it's the the bit where. Um, you know, if you think that he's not screaming if it's because the pain's eased, no, it's because of the fact that his vocal cords have just ripped in two. You know, that's what I was gonna say. That part really, that part got to me the most. Whenever he says, and he's not screaming, not because of the pain. It's like, oh my gosh, his vocal cords are shredding apart, yeah. and he can't scream. And then the oh, the picture on the BBC website, they have a picture of George 
screaming where he's going through his transformation. You can yeah. just see the agony on his face. Yeah, I mean, his whole body is just ripping itself apart and reforming. And um, and I I personally never thought of it that way before. I've always thought that the transformation, you know, in other shows, the transformation was emotionally painful, you know, more than it was that yeah. level of physical trauma, you know. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so you have that, and then George wakes, and Tully's there. And if you listen to our first show, then you know that we have views on Tully, you know. Um in terms of how Tully comes across when you first meet him, first see him, you know, that he's yeah, a bit... Yeah, because he was the creep in the park. Yeah, yeah, he's a bit weird. Yeah, he's the guy that if he turns at the playground, you bring your children closer, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean... You he, take them home. <laughs> well, yeah, the the guy just is, well, as you said, he's creepy, you know? And, um, and he's there. And obviously, George is naked. So you got... Tully and Naked George and it's all very weird and at least they clear it up very quickly you know Tully makes it clear that hey I'm a werewolf too and you're like okay well at least that makes a bit more sense now the guy's just not some weird well okay he's weird but he's, at least he's yeah. weird and a werewolf there's there's some sense for him being there so but then uh, you start to get a sense of how crude he is yeah and, and why did they have to make him Irish I don't know <laughs> I I've never actually thought about that to say the truth. Um I don't know. He just is. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a few Irish people in the UK, you know, and around the UK. So But his character really, really, really comes across as being um crude, especially whenever he comes back to the mm. apartment with all of it or flat with all of them. See yeah. I'm using a British term. Aren't you proud of me? Well, it's actually a house. Oh, dadgummit. Okay. <laughs> but don't worry about it. Was, you're fine. Just keep going. Yeah. All right. When he comes back to the house. Okay. When he comes back to the house. Yeah. He's real nice and sweet and just all rosy and gentlemanly and nothing really crude yet until he yeah. starts to get comfy in the house. Well, do you, uh, just a bit of foreshadowing before that. Did you notice how Tully dressed George? I mean, he got the stupid shorts on the T-shirt, but he gave him a hat. And George is wearing a hat that's a very Tully-ish hat. And yeah, I, like a perv hat. And um, it's... Yeah, it, I think this... Well, I just... Watching it for a second time, I think there's a bit of foreshadowing that right at the beginning, the first thing Tully does is dress George like a Tully. You know, and... It, it's sort of, well, for me, seeing it the second time, it sort of really stands out as George is still George at that point in time, but he's a George that looks like a Tully. And Tully wants to turn him into a George that is a Tully, as well as looking like one, you know. Um, exactly, he yeah. wants that connection. Yeah. And then also Tully obviously makes reference to the vampires beating him up and, um, yeah, and the fact that the same bad's coming, which I guess is yet more sort of really blatant foreshadowing of what the vampires are up to. But uh, yeah, um, and then George he heads. He tells him to ask his mate yes. what's going on. Yeah, and then George George heads home and uh, comes back to get some peace and quiet, and finds that Mitchell's invited the entire world back to the house. <laughs> that was a hoot! Oh my gosh! And you could just see now was Mitchell laughing 
at the excitement of having everybody there? Or was Mitchell laughing at how stupid everybody was? Not stupid, but how geeky and just humanity slapping him in the face. And was he just giddy? I got the feeling that he was just so giddy to be around it. Well, you know, that he wasn't laughing at them or making fun of them. No, I don't think He was just no. giddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really did take it as it was, he was just sort of high on the moment and he was just enjoying, he was enjoying being human. I think, you know, it, it's all of this yeah. big charade that he'd surrounded himself by all these people and as far as he was concerned, he was doing this big normal thing of having people around for drinks, you know, and uh, <laughs> and he was just enjoying that. And they were some weird people too. Oh my gosh! Well, they live in a weird street, don't they? But I mean, I, oh, and I loved the bit in the kitchen where um, Annie and um, Annie and George are talking. And George is freaking out about the fact that you know Mitch doesn't get it. They're British, you know. You don't, you know, you don't talk to your neighbours unless you've nodded at them for fifteen years beforehand. <laughs> and, oh. I, I wouldn't say it's that bad, but yeah, I sort of know what. Where he's coming from on that, you know. Um, but what I don't Seriously? get. But what I don't get about that comic though is that this whole thing of oh, um, Mitchell doesn't get it. Well, Hamid, surely Mitchell has been English and British a hell of a lot longer than George has. You but know? look at the time of error that he was human. Well, yeah, but even more so, he comes from an even more austere time than George does. So the fact that oh, George, really? so the fact that George is pulling Mitchell up for not getting how British people should behave, I always thought it was a bit of an odd <laughs> comment. So, but uh, but yeah, I, I come I, home from work and everybody on my streets out in the front yard and everybody's waving. I've got to stop my car and talk to everybody as I come down the street. You know, hey, how you doing? What you doing this weekend? Are we doing a cookout? Uh, oh my gosh, everybody down my street were just. We're always doing cookouts together, um, huh. just having movie nights and stuff. Everybody talks to everybody. Well, it's a bit different now because, because, because of the kids and because other people in the street got kids. You sort of know them from school and stuff. But I know the house I lived at before um, when it was just us and we hadn't got children and stuff. We knew our next-door neighbour and the house physically attached to us. I think we occasionally said pleasantries like you know nodded and said hi to the house next to that and that was it <laughs> you know you just uh, so so yeah i oh, get I know what you mean yeah yeah but um uh, that's kind of neat but this this whole bit leads up to one of my favorite bits of this episode which is george following tully out into the street and, <laughs> and uh trying to get rid of him and just telling you to piss off I just think it's brilliant because you see that George has <laughs> George has got to this point where you know, it's there's something about George's character that when yeah you know, if, Mitch, if Mitchell was a swear or even Annie was a swear to some extent it doesn't seem as shocking as when George does you just really don't expect it you expect George no. to say you know like you know go away. Yeah, more go force. away, leave me alone, go on. Yes, <laughs> go away now, you know. Not just to turn and just go, oh, piss off. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? So, oh, and we, Why we are you whispering it? I just remember, we were supposed to say in the introduction, weren't we? And we were mentioning, George, um, happy birthday to uh, Russell Tovey, because it's his birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Well, okay, well, I guess, well, 
To clarify, we believe his birthday is on the 14th of November. For me, it is now the 14th of November, so I can say happy birthday. For Susie, it's not quite the 14th of November for, what, another three hours or so? <laughs> um, yeah, about that. Yeah, okay. So you're saying happy birthday for tomorrow. So in about three hours' time, which is probably <laughs> where we're going to get to the end of this blooming recording. Um, no! You, you, could say, you could say happy birthday then. So. But anyway, happy birthday. Anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, sorry. All right, I'll say happy birthday early, dude. Okay. And <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, yeah. So you got this whole bit, and um, Tully's, you know, back in the house. And what I think is quite interesting is that right at the beginning, George, George doesn't trust Tully at all. He doesn't seem to but like that's him. That's his nature anyway. Yeah, but he doesn't like him. He doesn't trust him. He wants him out of the house. Whereas Mitchell and Annie completely fall for, for Tully's charm. I mean, it's like you were saying yeah. before, when he arrives at the house, he's charming and he's lovely and he's nice and everything else. And Mitchell and Annie, basically, he stays because they invite him to stay. George doesn't want him there. And I think it's quite uh, interesting. And Mitchell how... even... Go on, sorry. Oh, Mitchell even tells him, George, be nice. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the way that that dynamic changes, I think it's quite, it's quite interesting. Mitchell wants him out after... He can't even go into the bathroom without there being a stinky. Yep. Oh, and <laughs> then uh, the Tully is such a manipulative ass, isn't he? I mean, oh yes. I'm sorry, but okay. As we learn later on, Annie, bless her. You know, she's she, you don't get Annie. Annie comes across as being a fairly smart woman who seems to have no common sense in a way or no ability to she seems very dumb at times when it comes comes to interaction with people i'm probably not explaining this very well but but not that she's stupid she comes across as being smart but she's She's not naive naive yeah that's the word for it yeah um because the whole thing with the eggs okay tully is not dumb tully knows the fact that annie can't eat eggs and tully knows that the eggs in the fridge aren't his so he goes and makes the eggs for Annie, knowing full well that Annie will go, oh, I can't eat the eggs, so I'm a ghost. And Annie will go, oh, no, no. Oh, I better not let them go to waste. It's like, yeah, right. You were just cooking them for yourself. You know, you're just being an arse. You know? So, he is. Uh, He's being a selfish, bad guest. Yes. But, yeah, I just, you watch that bit and you think, oh, for God's sake, Annie, you can't, you just tell the guy's playing you. You know, just, oh, you know, oh, well. But, um, well, also, too, she's young. She even says she's 23. In one episode, she says she's 23. So she is awful young. Oh, she's not that young, though. Oh, I mean, yes, she does. In one episode, she says... No, uh, no, but I mean, whenever... 20, I mean, 23 is not that young. I mean... Oh, yes, it is. 23 is oh. young. Yeah, but not to be that naive, surely. So, Well, I guess, actually, you get the impression that pretty much her whole life seems to rotate around Owen. I mean, I oh, don't yeah. know. Is there ever any mention of her having been to university or anything? You yeah, don't... Um, she she her, that's how her and Owen met. Is they met at um, the way I understood it. It was a school. Yeah. A uni, and that's university, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's been a uni. It just oh, okay, fair, fair enough. It just if she's been away from home for that long, the fact that she's still that naive is just surprising. But anyway. Anyway, um, so I mean, yeah, the, I, I guess 
the episode then I guess moves on and the other, the other great from episode 2 is the whole Nina George dynamic starts up in this oh, and yeah. that first meeting where she is such a nutter bitch <laughs> I mean she really is I mean she's a right cow to him I mean the poor bloke why is she mean to him like that because uh, she's pissed off with the doctors I mean, she apologises later on for pretty much for that. You know, you know, she's been shafted by the doctors. The doctors have basically foisted this patient onto her after she said there's no room for her on her ward. And they foisted her yeah. by basically getting George the porter to bring her up and give them to her. And she was annoyed and she took that out on the, the person that was closest to representing that doctor, which was George. You know, so he got both barrels. Um, yeah, she killed the messenger. Yeah, and that wasn't his fault. You know, I mean, no. he doesn't he doesn't help by compounding it by, you know, not going when she tells him to go. You know, but um, but yeah, I mean, she's not a yeah. But what's what's great about that is that then obviously, um, that bird of yours has got a weird tweet. Um, well, that's the dog. That's okay. the demon dog barking. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> but then, oh, where's that? Yeah, so you got the whole first bit of Nina and George. I guess we might as well just sort of cover Nina and George off. You then got, I think, next is the bit where she comes and apologises. George is now, you know, becoming more Tully. He's like, you know, part Tully. And he tries using Tully's chat up line on Nina, which just goes disastrously wrong. And Wait, what did you say? A chatting line? A, a chat up. He's trying to chat her up. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, he is. He's talking to her. Yeah. So he's trying, you know. So he's trying. Basically, he's trying to pull Nina. He's trying to get her out on a date or whatever. So. Oh, um, he's trying to pick her up. Yeah, that's what chatting her up means. Okay, we we back on one of these dialogue things again, aren't we? So, yeah. So if <laughs> George chatting up Nina is that basically George trying to get Nina to go out of him, and uh, he just makes a complete ass of himself again. Uh, but the thing is, she's such an cow to him again. I mean, like, you can tell that he's just trying to ask her out. You can tell that he's being a bit of a tit and he's a bit shy about it. She doesn't have to then be that sarcastic, But you can tell she cruel. was annoyed. But she was annoyed by his behavior, thinking that he was weird and, you know, kind of a twit. Well, yeah, but she just... The whole bit where I'm going to go off now and tell the other nurses what a complete twat you are, basically, and how old you are, and that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, That's yeah. Nina's personality. She was... She was uh, what's a good harsh word? To, I mean, not harsh word for it, but... Um, well, she almost reminded you of a ball-busting woman. Yeah, well, she's just a bitch towards him <laughs> no, that's the word that's the yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I put that explicit tag on the iTunes thing <laughs> so, so I'd just like to apologise now to our listeners who have just been offended by the language we've been using so far in this episode of the Being Human cast yes uh, you hadn't used anything so so she was um, <laughs> got a dog so yes so she is a not very nice lady towards him um, but then what I love about this is that is the dynamic that you build the whole thing up where, n- for various reasons, Nina just doesn't like George. <laughs> and uh, she doesn't like George, and she has a very low opinion of him. Okay, now we've de-dogged. Uh, where was I? Um, 
Yeah, so so you got this whole dynamic where you know it builds up the whole Nina and George thing, where Nina basically thinks that George is a bit of a tit, and George basically doesn't present himself very well to Nina. And then you got this the lovely bit where um, George is sat talking to. Um, oh, I know, I know who you're talking about—the one that he was so nice to that yeah. he said that he would come back to visit because yeah. she had nobody to visit her. That's the one. And that was such a George thing to do. It was Because he did it on his day off. And that shows a sign of being human, showing compassion. Mrs. James. There you go. Yes, Nina has a go at George about the fact that he's bunking off work, pissing around, dossing off, however you want to call it, chatting to Mrs. James about uh, New Zealand, I think, rather than doing work. And George turns around and goes, you know, points out that it's his day off and walks off. And the look on Nina's face is like, for the first time in that whole relationship, the dynamic shifted. Because for once, George felt confident about what he was saying. And yeah. George felt relaxed about what he was saying because he wasn't trying to impress Nina. He was, he you know, he'd had, in, he'd, so he'd had that, enough. Yeah. yeah, he'd had enough of her being horrible to him. He, he wasn't going to put up with it. And he would just turn around and sort of said, you know, hey, you know, it's my day off. I've come in on my day off to speak to this nice old lady who's not very well. She's in hospital and she's got no friends or family coming to visit her. It's just showing a bit of human kindness to this woman. And that, I think, and that is the moment, isn't it? That's the whole moment where that relationship between Nina and George grows from. Is when she actually sort of sees through his insecurity and everything else and actually sees George. That's That's the true nature of what what george is isn't it so aside from the and george and, yeah and Go then on. when mitchell and you know invites her over tells her that you know george would like to have dinner with her yeah that was the other turning point yep because but... george had to act then yeah but anyway let's not uh go too far ahead so so yes <laughs> so they've had that moment anyway but um um you got tully training george anyway and i think again it's another it's another key bit is that for me when you watch it again George is the whiny kid being taken out by his dad somewhere isn't he because he's like yep. you know oh is it going to take long you know he's waiting for him to say are we nearly there yet you know and uh, they get there and George is just not impressed I mean and to be honest you can't blame him because Tully's come out with all this nonsense about double bagging and wet wipes and everything else and then he pulls his chicken out of a bag that he's going to take for a walk and then the penny drops and George realises the genius of what he's saying about leaving the scent trail and following the scent trail around and whether or not that actually works or not and whether or not it was just Tully making up rubbish to keep George on board I don't think we ever really find out but the point is is that that George is, is impressed and that's the point I think that's the point where George changes his opinion on Tully you know and starts to become Tullyfied and it's around about the same point in time that Mitchell starts really losing the allure of Tully being there. And Annie, you know, a little later on after that, begins the same. So, but well, it's, it's an interesting moment. Well, sorry. George starts to see him at, you know, Tully as Tully's helping him and Tully's teaching him the ways, you know, that he yeah. needs to survive, whereas his friends really haven't tried to do that and George gets mad at that yes yeah and 
Which yes. I didn't understand why he would expect a vampire to tell him how to be a werewolf. That's what I never got, and that's where I kind of well, started to see George acting like a baby. And it's, uh, I think it's part of the fact that uh, Tully, you only see bits of it, but Tully's clearly been there for weeks because Mitchell makes reference to the fact that he's, you know, it was supposed to be a few nights, you've been here, you know, weeks. So yeah. there's this drip, drip, drip feed of, you know, you only see him say it a couple of times, like, oh, well, hasn't Mitchell ever mentioned this? But how many times over those two weeks has he dropped into the conversation? And it's like, well, you didn't know this. Well, hasn't Mitchell mentioned this? And over time, that you know, he doesn't blatantly ever come out and say Mitchell's a bad friend because he's never done this. He just drops little bits into the conversation to skew George's view on reality around to perceiving Mitchell's not being a good friend to him. Yeah, but I never really understood. I mean, why George didn't say, "Well, what would Mitchell know about being a you know well, a werewolf? He's a vampire." I think it's and more not generic. Through it. Yeah, I think it's just more, there's this generic implication that Mitchell's yeah. been around for a long time. And therefore, he's come across werewolves before. So surely he's got some knowledge of what werewolves are like that he could pass on. You know, the whole bit where uh, Tully's hand to go, well, hasn't Mitchell ever helped you seduce women? Yeah, it goes to show more of Tully's um, deceiving nature. Yes, How it does. he was really a manipulator yeah. by, you know, throwing those hints down. Yeah. And also how George is to some extent fairly vulnerable. He's a very yeah. insecure, um, has a whole load of self-doubts and stuff. Yeah. And I, I guess same as what we said in episode one. You know, episode two picked up with a whole heap of content and just runs straight at you full on, without without pause, break. It, it just like just hits you, and doesn't stop hitting you. Because, you know, you think, oh, look at the content we've had in this episode so far with the introduction of George's relationship, you know, Tully, the whole storyline, you know, like the A plot with Tully. And then you've got Lauren reappearing at the door, um, coming in, seducing Mitchell. And there's a great line again. I I love the one-liners in this where Mitchell's, you know, protesting the fact that he's, you know, know, um, he's not going off, you know, Killing and whatever, and uh, Lauren asks him, "Who, you know, who are you saving? Have you seen Britain's Got Talent?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just love that line. See, <laughs> so that one does translate because, you know, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, in the cafe, the whole bit in the cafe where Tully's chatting up the uh, the lady in the, the cafe, and making comments again about you know George and Mitchell you know and Mitchell not helping him out and it's again it's it's whole as we're saying it's drip 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 feed I mean I guess oh yeah George comes back home and there's yet again a whole heap of people in the lounge and uh, yeah yet more party going on and George trying to uh, and after they've gone George trying to find out from Mitchell what's going on because then you've got the whole scene where again Tully's been drip, drip, dripping into you know George's head about how Mitchell knows something about what's going on, and then Mitchell mentions about you know that something's coming and going on, and they push him to try and find ways. And Mitchell's fairly dismissive of it, tries to play it down, and I think that's because he he generally hopes that what the vampires are talking about doing won't actually happen. And then you know Mitchell walks out the room and heads upstairs to the bathroom uh, and meets Hannah. And Hannah is apparently Susie's friend from number eight. So, Susie? <laughs> that one was so funny. I was like, oh my gosh. Do you, do you live in number eight? I mean, 
<laughs> have you got a friend called Hannah who's accidental with um, you know cake knives? But I love the fact that you know Mitchell's um, squirming because of all the blood from the cut, and she asks him if he's squeamish. Oh, that's so sweet. It's like, no, darling, he's not squeamish. He's thinking about ripping your throat out. It's, it's fine. Oh yeah. You know, don't worry about it. You know, and and yet again, I mean, she's all flirty, isn't she? You know, it's like because it's Mitchell, isn't it? You know. She and was. She was very, very flirty. So she was pretty much offering it to him right there and then, you know. Um, I, well, maybe she wasn't. Maybe she was just generally saying she should wash the blood out of her blouse by taking it off in front of him. Maybe she's just very keen on laundry. Mitchell, bless him, is just desperate to get Hannah out of the bathroom and away from him. Yeah, because he could feel himself slowly losing control. Yes. And then you get this brilliant... I, I Actually, I think this is... I think this is possibly now my favourite part of episode two. Is you can probably guess what it is. I mean, it's George out in the street with Annie and and Mitchell, and they're talking. And George is coming out with the George. You know, was it George's as George does, and all it is. You know, all these telly comments. Annie just looks at him and she's like, "Oh my god, you know, your telly's mini me." <laughs> it's just brilliant. You know. <laughs> And he is. That's the thing. You know, you think where he's come from. The whole role reversal of how he was so anti-Telly, and now he's essentially turned into a mini version of him. He's he's dressing like him. He's coming out with comments like him. Yeah, you know, he's acting like him. You know, and um, oh, it's brilliant. You know, <laughs> I just love. He's the become a little wee Tully. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and I like Austin Powers, so the fact that he makes all the Mini Me references is great. And okay, so you've now got the situation where George is now firmly in the I Love Telly camp. You've got Mitchell, who's now, I mean, actually, George and Mitchell have done a complete, you know, 180 on each other, sort of thing, and Mitchell now wants Telly gone. And I think, you know, Annie's coming round to more being on the she wants Telly gone camp, but she's not quite there yet, until you then get that really disturbing bit in the kitchen where Tully's trying to get on with Annie I never noticed it until I rewatched it again this evening before recording this but if you listen to what Annie says when Annie when Tully grabs Annie's arm for the first time she turns around and says and basically says Owen that hurts and then she corrects herself and says Tully that hurts and can you stop yeah but, but the but the first thing she says when somebody grabs her arm and hurts it, is Owen that hurts? Okay, and I never spotted that the first time round, but that is that is such a foreshadowing of the true nature of her relationship with Owen and the true nature of Owen's character. It's just a throwaway soundbite, but if you pick up on the fact that her instinctive reaction when someone's hurting her is to tell Owen to stop hurting you. Yep. It, it says so much about the level of abuse that Annie was suffering under in her relationship with Owen. It is very much so foreshadowing. But, you know, and, and Tully gets very forceful physically and verbally, starts to try and uh, force himself on Annie, and Annie has the ultimate female defence mechanism, doesn't she? <laughs> she just vanishes. <laughs> and yep. and Tully kisses Fridge. Uh, that's great. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then you got because uh, then he gets upset and he thinks, "Oh, great!" But the thing is, he's coming from a position of strength because he knows he's pretty much got George in his pocket now. But you got Annie in the street, Annie trying to find the hospital, and then you get that really odd scene with uh, Lauren and Herrick, and uh, Herrick obviously cleaning up after Lauren's you know activities. Yeah, Herrick's basically really pissed off, and Annie stood there watching all this. And then you get that bit where Herrick just turns and starts, you know, you know tick-tock, 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 looking at Annie. And that's, you can just see how much that freaks Annie out, you know. Yeah, because um, he's, I don't know, Herrick is just, he's scary anyway. Yeah. And then anyway, so you then got Annie sobbing, basically, back by the flat when, you know, Mitchell comes back, you know, down the road. And then you get the whole argument where, you know, Mitchell, George and Annie and... You know, you've now got both Annie and Mitchell. I mean, there's three people sharing that house. Two-thirds of the people want him out, and he stays, because George puts his foot down. I mean, that's how much he's influenced George. I mean, George puts his foot down to keep Tully in the house. And you've got, you got that bit with um, you know, Mitchell describing Tully, where he goes, he's a twat. And George goes, yeah, but he's my twat. And they sort of look at each other, and uh, it's the, the whole, you didn't really mean that sentence that way, did you? He's like, no, I'm, he's my friend, you know. <laughs> There's that weird dynamic that's happened where George is now sort of saying, come on, Tully, let's, let's go out. And Tully's like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy myself living here. And Annie vanishes again. And then you've got a really interesting bit. You've got uh, Annie and Mitchell um, together in the bedroom when they're talking and Annie's asking Mitchell about her condition and they accidentally kiss. And yeah. That got, yeah, and that got me thinking, would you say, okay, my view is that Annie is actually Mitchell's ideal woman. I have you reasons for this. You can tell that by the way he treats her and acts with her. Well, he, he really likes her, but I think he's her ideal woman because of the fact that... Yeah, he makes references to Lauren earlier. You know, he he can't be physical with a woman without letting go of his control and his restraint and laying his vampire side loose. Which is the reason why whenever he sleeps with a woman he ends up killing them, you know, or turning them. That just seems to be what happens. That's, you know, a repeating pattern with Mitchell over the years. But he can't do that with Annie. So potentially in Annie, there's a woman that he can have a emotional relationship with. He could potentially have a physical relationship with, without the risk of vamping out on her. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you think. I mean, I just you know the more I think about it in terms of pairings in the show, Annie and Mitchell, I think would make a very good couple. I think they would be adorable together. So you have that. You have that whole touching moment. Which is referred to later on when George comes back and uh, Annie makes, I think it's Annie makes some comments about, you know, if Mitchell goes to give you a hug, be careful. And George is like, look, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've only been gone a few hours, you know, he's already made a move. You know. <laughs> You've then got the big reveal that Tully is the guy that made George. And now maybe I was being particularly dumb, but I didn't see that coming when I first watched this. No, I, I, I didn't. I don't remember that part at all. I mean, he said it so quietly and so subtly yeah. and i've watched it a few times since then and i keep forgetting because they don't really make a big issue yeah. you know bubba bomb about it it's kind of like you know hey dude i made you you know i, yeah. I scratched you but george freaked out he freaked oh, yeah. out big time well because he his his every issue he has in life is is centered around um being a werewolf 
That that's his big yeah. concern. Um, and now he comes face to face the guy that made him one. George loses it, and then Tully starts revealing more about his life, about how he essentially he says he lost his wife and his son. And you yeah. presume from that that not that he killed them or anything, but literally just the fact that she left him because of the whole being a werewolf thing. That's what you expect. And for the first time, the whole series, you know, including episode one, you actually start to get some empathy for where Tully's coming from. And you start to see the shallowness of Tully's character that essentially he's just a broke, you know, he really is a broken shell of a man. And he's that, lonely. And he's yeah. lonely. I mean, you get the, you start to think that, okay, this is possibly a guy that, you know, had a job and he had the wife and he had the, you know, the son and his little family home and his little normal average life and he just muddled his way through it and then this thing happened to him and this thing caused him to lose all of that. Well, he even says that he wants what George has. Yeah, but he goes about getting it in a really weird way, you know. That's because uh, he's a crude man. Well, I actually... They have him being a very crude man. I think he comes across as a crude man, but I just think he's insecure. I think that's what it is. I mean, when you realise this, I think you've got an individual who's lost everything, and he's massively insecure. He doesn't know who he is or what his place is in the world anymore, and he builds this telly persona around him who's big and brash and bold and confident, because if he's being all big and brash and bold and confident, he can hide from who he really is. And who he is is this scared, lost and lonely individual. I mean, that's... Well, that's my take on it. And I do, you do feel empathy for the guy. The fact that he, to some extent, he views George as being the son he lost. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, and he's 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 gone to this trouble to find George and to try and build this bond with George because he wants a relationship with him, so he's not alone anymore. And the irony of this is, is that I think if he actually just gone to the house first of all and sort of said to Mitchell or someone, "Look, this is who I am," you know, but you know, I'm just looking to get to know George because I feel bad or what happened and yada yada yada. I'll be his friend. And, yeah, it could have worked out differently. I still don't think George would have gone near him. I think George would have still had a little hissy fit against him. I think you're right. I think, to some extent, he would, I think Tully was right in the approach he took. But the approach he took gave him a short-term relationship with George, but it was never going to give him a long-term one. Yeah. And maybe he'd have been better off doing it more up front, because even if George had kicked off now, maybe six months from now, George would have let him back into his life. So. Oh, so true. Because now George is just completely mad. Yeah. He's so upset he can't see straight. Yeah. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. I don't want to sort of mix up the order things too much. I mean, you go back to the house. The, uh, George comes back. He apologizes to everyone. You know, essentially, you get the old George back. And you got that line from George of, Hi, my name's George and I'm a werewolf. Oh, I love that part. <laughs> yeah, he he's finally come to accept what he is, and and you know you know that 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 him accepting who he is, coupled with the whole Mrs. James interaction with Nina, I think is part of what starts that relationship with Nina up. Is that you know he's got more confidence in himself now. He's more relaxed in who he is, coupled with uh, with Nina. Nina seeing a change in his personality. Okay, I may be getting ahead of myself because I watched I watched the entire I watched all six episodes on Sunday. 
again. You're just being keen, honey. <laughs> no, I just it was it was on the television, and we just watched all of them. Okay. I mean, we just we just watched all of them. Uh, we were cleaning house and stuff. But anyway, there was one part where with when uh, George and Nina first got together after the dinner and stuff, and they went upstairs to his room, and it was right before the full moon because they're sitting on the bed. Yeah. That was in That's, this episode, right? No, no. This episode, episode two is literally the last bit of George and Nina is her kicking herself in the hospital after putting a foot in the mouth with the okay, whole that's right. George okay. and Mrs. James. I won't get ahead of myself. I won't nope. get ahead of myself. Ooh, Next that, no, everybody, Nina and George didn't get in the bedroom together. Never mind. Yep, we'll just scratch that. <laughs> yeah, the DVD. There's a DVD on the floor. They assume it's um, Casablanca because of Mitchell's legendary role knocking over her chair in Casablanca. Oh, yeah. They put the DVD on and it's basically Lauren killing some bloke. Lauren and yeah. some bloke having sex and then Lauren killing the bloke. And, and we find uh, out that that's vampire porn. Yeah. And, J- and Mitchell's all like, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, this is just Lauren's sick joke to have a go at me. And Annie's like, no, it's not. It's, you know, it's basically they're doing this to show you what, what you're missing, you know, to show you what you truly are. Um, they're doing it to try and get you to come back to them. And I thought it was quite interesting that for all her naivety, Annie's the one that realizes exactly what that DVD is there for. Mitchell yep. doesn't, and as obviously as we see later on, Mitchell um, retrieves the DVD for the bin with potentially fairly tragic consequences for them. But uh, and see, I missed that the first time I watched it. Yeah. I missed that. Yeah. You know, whenever he retrieved it from mm-hmm. that, because I thought, how did he get the DVD again? And then when I saw that part, it was like, oh no, he took it out of the trash to watch it again. And then George goes off to change. I never quite get why George went back to that spot. I guess that's because that's the only place he can go to, because that's the place they've got prepared. Yeah, that was the safe spot. Yeah, so he gets back there. Unsurprisingly, you know, Tully's there, and Tully's trying to hang himself. And the interesting thing is, is that George walks away, <laughs> and you think, oh, well, okay. yeah, but he waits. He waits to hang himself until George is in there, yeah. and then he makes a big play of jumping off. But I was surprised when George turned around and walked off, and I thought, wow, they yeah. are having him being very cold and calculating. Yeah. But then he whistles out and turns around, runs back. He tries to be the badass, but then George Mode kicks in, and he realizes he can't be. Um, yeah, his humanity kicks in and realizes, you know, I need to help him still. And to some extent, that's what keeps him as George, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is, because I wouldn't like George if he was, if he turned to be hard, cold, and calculating. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Just, that wouldn't be George. George is so sweet and lovable, you just want to hug him and give him a kiss and go, aw. I'd just like to put on record that I've never had any desire to hug or kiss George. Okay, well, you can do that to Annie. Okay. Well, maybe. Okay. The wife might object. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, anyway, the... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, where was I? I've lost completely my train of thought now. Yeah, so, so George and uh, Tully, it all kicks off, and they fight, and they transform, and George is worried they're going to rip themselves. I mean, even at that point, George is still worried that they're going to injure each other. They, you know, they transform. And then the next day... 
Tully wakes up and Tully's like injured and he's naked and, and it's the whole it's the closure isn't it it's the role reversal it at is. the beginning of the episode that George is now the one in control George is now the one dressed stood there in control knows what's going on Tully's the one that's the wreck on the ground yep the beaten one yeah and here's a question for you is Tully George without friends if you took George's friends away would George become Tully is that is that what differentiates Tully and George no, because I don't think George could ever be anything like Tully because it's not in his nature. And I really think Tully was a bit of a dork even before his wife okay. and kid yeah, left Yeah, he him. probably was. But even allowing for the fact that while under Tully's influence, he was pretty damn horrible to, uh, to Annie. You know, the whole bit where Annie was probably asking for it sort of thing. That's a hard one. If, I mean, if, if any of you guys out there listen to this, have a view, then please let us know. I'd, I'd love to know what you think. That you know, I, I really do think that you know, if you took Annie and Mitchell away from George over time, you know, over a few years and stuff, he, he would become Tully. I think without he that, might. without that support network, without that reason to be human, you know, what would happen? So yeah, the episode ends as we said with Mitchell black-eyed up. And digging through the bin, trying to find the uh, the DVD. But yeah, again, it's just a complete whirlwind of an episode. But I think more so probably than the first one, it, if you watch it carefully, it really does lay some fairly key foundations for episodes to come. Agreed. So that's all I've really got. I can't think of anything else to say. Um, is there anything else you can think of from episode two that you wanted to discuss? Nope. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I think we're done, so... Yeah, comments, please leave comments. Obviously, we are on iTunes. If you'd like to go leave us a review or some feedback on iTunes, that'd be awesome as well. Uh, the Twitter account's there, TVBHC. Feel free to follow us, tweet us, etc., etc. Thanks for listening, and look forward to speaking to you all again in a month's time. Have a good month. Bye, everyone. Bye. Being Humancast is a non-profit podcast. Being Human is owned by the BBC and Touchpaper. No copyright infringement is intended. Music used is from Podsafe Audio. You can contact us at feedback at beinghumancast.com or via our website, www.beinghumancast.com. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll be here. We'll see you later. Okay. <laughs>